He who saves one life saves the world entire. And the most important life to save is your own. After all, it's the place where you have the most power. So join shadow worker and trauma therapist Laura Giles each week on It's Not You, It's Me. We'll uncover what's in shadow and learn the things you need so you can heal yourself, grow yourself, know yourself, love yourself, be yourself, and share yourself. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, it's time to drop the self-sabotage and limiting beliefs. A healthy, abundant, connected life is an option. Choose it. Subscribe. And let's start manifesting it. Hey, everybody, welcome to Let It Go Now, the podcast where we talk about things that you may want to let go of that are standing in the way of your greatness. Sometimes we talk about how to do that, and sometimes I feature people who are doing it. And today I have a guest. I'm with my sister, Lisa Giles. And Lisa is the producer of the 48 Hour Film Project and the creator of the Richmond Film Network. For a little more background on both of us, you can check the archives for an episode where I talk about our mom and how we grew up. Hey, Lisa, thanks for being here. What's going on? <laughs> I know sometimes um, people have a really uphill climb to get where they're going, and some people have good mentors and support that make the climb a lot easier. Would you say that you're among the latter? I am probably both at at some point in my life. Uh-huh. I've, I've been both. Mm-hmm. So one of my huge mentors in high school was my choir director, Brian Johnston, and he put a lot of care into his students and really gave some people a reason to come to school. Who was one of your most influential teachers or mentors? Um, certainly, teacher-wise was, was one of my teachers, my English and theater and forensic public speaking coach, Donald Hitt definitely had a major impact on my trajectory as a as a person and as a professional. I wanted to be just like him. I wanted to do the things for others that he did for me. You know, as a, as a teacher, I loved – I don't know if that was when I fell in love with English, but I ended up becoming an English teacher. I ended up becoming a – theater director and ended up becoming a forensics coach just like him. So certainly he had quite an impact on on me then and, like I said, who I became professionally. Yeah, I think mentors are hugely important for everybody. And uh, you mentioned that you taught English, and that was in an inner city school. And I think the stereotype for inner city schools are that they're babysitting places for criminals and kids with behavioral issues. And so how do you get people like that interested in literature? You know, I think the way that you reach anybody, anywhere, in any place is love. And I think that's the thing that, as humans, that we respond to. And, you know, sometimes it may take a while to understand how you do that or that that is really what's required because – you know, different people have different ways of responding. But essentially, in in that situation, it came down to students understanding that you care. You know, 
my first year teaching, I hated it. I hated it. There was no way you could tell me I was going to come back for year two. But I didn't have another job, so I had to go back. You know, I was kind of forced into it. And then after that, year two and on, I loved it. I learned that that basically the kids, you know, the kids called the shots. I didn't call the shots. You know, I had to adjust how I thought and how I reached them and and how I did things to get them to respond. And um, after that, I think it was year three is when I started coaching. And, you know, any coach who or any teacher who takes on additional responsibilities without it being required, you know, that was that was totally optional. I didn't have to coach. I chose to coach. And it was, like I said, it was something that I had done as a student myself, and I loved it. So I loved the content. I loved the, the practice. And so I wanted to share my love for public speaking and performance with students because my student population, call them inner city, call them underprivileged or under-resourced is, is probably a better term. You know, those that population has such a – they have something that, that privileged students do not have. You know, they, they know what it's like to – to go without or to have struggles or to experience trauma. And when you're teaching them how to speak to an audience, and, and, and in most cases when what we were doing was, you know, taking a piece of literature and making it come alive, you know, and the best literature has, you know, has, has those things that, you know, that they experience and they understand, you know, they, it has heartbreak and it has uh, tragedy and, and, you know, triumph sometimes. And, and so they connected with it and they understood it. And so they were outstanding performers because they did connect with that and they, you know, and, and helping them understand the material and, you know, the crazy thing is most people are, are uh, they have fear of public speaking. These kids did not. <laughs> they did not. They went out there and they kicked butt every time. So it wasn't really difficult to get them to connect with literature. It was just, it, it, was, it was fun every day. You know, I never wanted to leave practice. They didn't either. They couldn't wait till the next competition. So it was it was great fun. It wasn't really a challenge. It was that was just one of the ways that that I was able to connect with them because it was something that we both understood and, and appreciated. I'm really glad that you said that the way that you said it because as I was trying to ask you the question, I, I was thinking in my mind too, which I don't normally do, and just say it. You know, how do I say this? in a way that is respectful and accurate. And and I think a lot of people do think of underprivileged kids as different, but we're all human and we all do respond to love. And and I think if you can, if people, if people can get themselves in that headspace, then like you say, it's, it's really not hard. Would you say that it was more of your passion or the passion for the subject or is it both? Um, I think it's both. Yeah, I mean, I think it's both. But, you know, if there's – I one thing I always notice as a teacher is, you know, I obviously I, I, I selected material that I connected with, 
because it was something that I knew, number one, that I understood, and it was something that I knew that I could convey very well because I understood it. And if I understood it that well, um, then it, you know, and I conveyed it that well, then I think that they would understand and connect with it too. And every time, you know, regardless of what material I taught, whether it was, uh, you know, early American settlers, <laughs> you know, journal entries to uh, modern period Tennessee Williams or, you know, anything, it's, you know, it's it's finding the connection, it's finding the meat, it's finding the interesting thing. So, I mean, I think it's both, and, and, and they always responded to it, regardless of what it was. That's cool. And where does the love come from? Because, it's, you know, these are strangers initially, and how do you reach and, and find that space? I mean, I think you want any teacher has to you know, I, I believe, you know, maybe I'm, I'm naive, but I believe that every teacher loves their students and wants to see them succeed. So from a teacher to student perspective, you know, I want them to succeed. It wasn't, you know, I, of course I want them to get good grades, but it's, you know, more than ever, you know, I wanted them to understand it and, and to connect with the material and get good grades while doing it. So. And I think, you know, kids are not stupid. Kids are very observant. observant. Yeah, they're very observant. And they know when when you're working for them, when, when, when you're sincere and when you are trying to reach them and, and, you know, versus just, you know, doing something by rote. You know, there was, uh, when I was teaching, there was this phrase that came about teaching 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 to the test you know that was when standardized test standardized testing was was really a big deal was just starting to come into being a thing and so it became teachers teachers were expected to get high percentage percentages of passing on these standardized tests and if you didn't then it reflected poorly on you as a teacher so there was you know teachers learned how to get students to pass the test. And so that became, you know, a totally different way of teaching because they weren't really mastering the material and understanding the material. They were just learning how to pass the test. You know, mm -hmm. and anybody can anybody can do that. So I totally refused to teach that way. I just did not do it. I knew that I could find a way that they could master it and if they mastered it, then they could understand. They could understand the test, and then and then pass the test. Um, so that's how I taught, and I think they knew that. And you know, and like I said, when you when you're doing more than you're supposed to, you know, when you're also coaching, you know, you don't have to be there coaching. You don't have to let kids come into your classroom during lunch and help them with a worksheet or homework. You don't have to take side conversations and comfort them when they're having a bad day. You know, we weren't supposed to give hugs, but, you know, I did. <laughs> so, so I mean, so that's where the love comes from. These, you know, they're humans, you know, and yeah. they are in such, especially at that age, I was, you know, taught high school, they're, they're in such a stage of 
becoming who they're going to be. And they're looking for answers and they're, they're growing up and they're, you know, making tough decisions. And, you know, in, in the case of the population that I chose, a lot of times they were, you know, I mean, they had some really tough decisions to make. And in some cases they were helping support the household. And um, so when they saw that you cared and, you know, you just took a second to say something or to encourage them, you know, they, they know. They, they know you don't have to say, I love you. You know, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be stated. It shows in your actions. And so I think, you know, when, when you give that, when you, when you're doing things because you care, they know. Yeah. They know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and we're on this planet anyways, it, I don't know any reason why you would not do that. <laughs> it just makes yeah. everybody's life so much easier. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, you know, I, I understand, you know, there are teaching is tough. I always say how fortunate I was to be in the school system that I was in, you know, people, there are certain people that, you know, when I tell them where I taught, they're like, Oh my God, that must've been such a challenge. And, you know, you must've hated it. And, and I consider myself fortunate because, because there was such a low expectation of success it mm. gave me a lot of it gave me a lot of room to do things my way and mm-hmm. and succeed in spite of that mhm mhm and it always surprised me that that people had that expectation because i was seeing success right in front of my face over and over again i put many a student out of my standard level i taught a standard level and standard plus collaborative meaning uh students with ieps that had to have extra help according to law i taught standard and collaborative and i saw students constantly achieving higher than they were expected to. And I put many a student out of my class and put them into advanced honors classes because they just didn't belong in in standard level. So, and I can tell you even from from personal experience, I was was in a lot of first, when I first moved to Virginia, I was put in standard level classes and I was very quickly advanced to honors classes. And I didn't, I never thought about it until many years later, you know, why was I put in standard levels classes? Were your expectations that low? Because I was always in honors classes That's in Ohio, yeah. you know, so I, I, I don't, mean? yeah. So, you know, so it's like, okay, who's making these decisions? Who's, who mm-hmm. is placing these kids? Is it, is it their grades? Is it the administration? You know, what, how, how are kids being placed in these different levels of classes? And, you know, in the cases where I recommended students be placed in higher levels, it was not even, not even close. I mean, they, they were, you know, constantly A's, 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 every assignment, getting A's on papers. And it's like, okay, this is too easy for you. Get out of here. I think it just so, goes to show that if you expect the performance that you expect of someone is often what you're going to get, especially as a mentor. And you have a lot of power to pull people up. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's there's no question about it. Some cases, the person themselves doesn't believe 
and all it takes right. is somebody else to believe in them. And yeah. then suddenly they suddenly they believe in themselves and, and they mm-hmm. hold themselves to a higher standard. I've seen it again and again. Yeah. So after teaching, uh, you went on to work for the Virginia High School League, and one of the new things that you brought to that was, I'm not sure what you, what it was called, but it's the film series thing, and this was a new idea for um, an institution that focused on sports and academics. So was that a hard sell, and how did you get the courage to do that? It was not an easy sell because anytime there's a new statewide championship added, you know, that's that's budget. <laughs> you know, how are you going to justify adding this program for over 300 schools across the state? You know, where is, how is this going to pay for itself? Who's going to administer it? So I dug in and I answered all those questions. I wrote all the rules and bounced them off of a, uh, put together a committee and bounced the rules off of them. You know, the, the, the practitioners who were teaching film and in their classes, so got the buy-in from them, created, helped shape the program and fine-tune it, and then got to a point where I was able to answer the financial questions, able to answer the uh, functional questions, the how, you know, the who, what, why, where, when, how questions, and once I felt confident about that, pitched it to our, our board, you know, it had to pass the board, and I was stunned at the the one concern that they had, they had only one concern, and it was such a small thing that I thought that ended up being, you know, an easy compromise. It, it was a date. I, the date that I had proposed, they didn't they didn't like the date. So I, you know, you know, so I was like, okay, how do, how do I approach this? Do I really want it to be on this date? I didn't care that it was, you know, I didn't care about the date. So you know, that was an easy compromise to make. Switch the date, pushed it back, and ended up passing on the on the second vote. So, and and I and I will add to that. It, 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 I'm making it sound easy. It, it certainly was a lot of work doing all the research, and it didn't happen overnight. It was an idea years before it actually happened. And I was probably, when it was an idea, it was turning in my mind for a couple of years. And I didn't know how to make it happen. I didn't know because there were no state championships in film. I didn't have a model to look at. Mm-hmm. So, so I didn't know how to do it. I had never launched a new state championship. So I had to, like I said, it was an idea. And then I partly because of just confidence in knowing and understanding my job and knowing how things work within the system and knowing film, suddenly (laughs) there was, I believe it was Texas. Texas was the first state, I believe, that launched film. And then right after Iowa launched. And so suddenly I had two examples and looked at their Mm -hmm. examples and now Texas is very, very different, and and Iowa different still. So, I mean, I looked at those models, took what I liked, added what I thought it should be and what I thought would work for Virginia, and and then once once Texas and Iowa launched, it 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 moved a whole lot faster because because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this this is the thing. I've got you know there there is precedent. This exists. Texas is one of the biggest 
states for state championships. They're highly competitive, but I had, you know, I worked very well with the people in that office and, you know, was able to bounce questions off of them. The, the guy in Iowa, you know, super helpful. But uh, so after, after they launched, that's when it started moving. That's when I got the fire under me and I said, I can do this. I know how to do this. And it became a thing. Cool. And as I said in the introduction, you're now the producer of the Richmond 48-Hour Film Project and creator of Richmond Film Network. So how did you, I'm, I'm assuming that that experience with the high schoolers maybe led into this, but what made you focus on film? In general, I've always been enamored with film. And like I mentioned, that you know, the acting piece from coaching theater and, and public speaking, which in the public speaking that I taught, it was it was more like dramatic performance um, versus oratory, although it was oratory as well. So I've always loved performance and I've always loved the aspects of filmmaking and had actually produced, I worked for an attorney at the time, you know, Rob, <laughs> um, and I produced, uh, written, produced and directed two commercials for the law firm. So, you know, and loved it. And um, so, I mean, I thought I had always been around it. I had, you know, coached actors after teaching and, and um, so I'd always been around it. I've always felt comfortable with it. And after launching the state championship in film, one of the components of that event was educational panels. And so I had guest speakers come in and give a, a panel discussion on a certain topic, you know, whether it was editing or documentary or whatever it was on. Uh, one of the guests that I had in that very first film festival uh, high School State Championship Film Festival was the producer of the 48-Hour Film Project at that time. So she came oh. and she was one of my guest speakers. And so that's how she and I got acquainted. And, you know, at, also at that time, you know, part of part of understanding and marketing the, the event was being connected to the organizations that existed, you know, the Virginia Film Office, the Virginia Production Alliance, and being connected to those people. And, um, you know, of course, they loved the idea of mentoring high school students to become the future filmmakers that support the industry as adults. Right. So, so I had that, I made those connections within that network and um, met the producer at that time. And, when she was ready to let go of the 48, she, I was the person that she asked to take it over and uh, interviewed with the headquarters, and they liked me, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> now, the, the Richmond 48-Hour Film Project has a reputation of being, quote-unquote, the one to enter on the East Coast, and why do you think people feel that way about it? Uh, I... I'm not sure, maybe because it's one of the biggest ones in terms of number of teams that enter. Maybe it's because it's located in the capital of Virginia, Richmond. Maybe because the, the bar is pretty high, it's tough to win. I'm, I, well, and, and we've also had a winner ultimately go to Cannes to the Cannes Film Festival in France. So so maybe maybe it's all of those things combined. But but yeah, yeah I hear that constantly. I hear, you know, I've one woman told me just this summer when we had the project in July, she said, Yeah, Richmond is the Hollywood of forty eight. 
I about passed out. <laughs> but I mean, quite 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 the, the compliment. But um, yeah. I'll take it. Yes, I think it's pretty safe to say that your passion revolves around helping and teaching others and giving them opportunities to grow and shine. What is it about mentoring that that lights you up? I think I just think helping people is what we're supposed to do, and I. I think I must be pretty good at it because I find myself <laughs> doing it when I'm not even really trying to do it. And yeah. I finally understood that within, I mean, very recently I've just understood, Hey, I'm, I'm good at helping people get to where they want to go. And when I realized that I kind of understood, you know, that that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. You know, I'm good at it. I love doing it. You know, I love helping people succeed. And I just naturally, you know, somebody tells me a problem, you know, I'm naturally giving them solutions just automatically without even trying, you know. I just like seeing people succeed. I, you know, there's no harm in it. You know, there's there's mm-hmm. there's room enough for everybody at the top. And, um, you know, if you can help somebody, why not? You know, if you have the knowledge, the skill, the ability, the time, why not? Mm-hmm. So when you get stuck or feel like something is an uphill battle, what do you do? What's your go-to strategy or your go-to person? Uh, you. <laughs> I, I bounce stuff off of you all the time. Um, again, we're all human. We all. I think in general I'm a very positive person and I'm a very solutions-oriented person. I don't, you know, when I see a challenge, I'm I'm usually – able to pinpoint how to get beyond it. I think ultimately, and again, this kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier, I think when somebody else believes in you, you know, how how can you not believe in yourself? When you're constantly reinforced, and I'll just give you an example. We were talking about the, the new venture, the Richmond Film Network, and um short film series that goes along with that. That's something I'm launching right now, and it's you know, it's brand new, it's scary, but I believe that I'm fulfilling a need within the community. And, you know, when I get followers on that Instagram, every time one, you know, I get a notification, yeah, you got a new follower. Every time I get a question in the inbox, every time I get a submission on the uh, platform for the series, you know, that's, uh, that's reinforcement. That's somebody's interested in this. This is mm-hmm. you, you're 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 on the right track. So if you know, it might just be one like. You know, maybe I'm feeling you know unsure. You know, should I be doing this? Am I wasting my time? Are people going to respond? And you get a like, and it's like, oh, you know, that's 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 just the boost that I needed. And and it's just <laughs> one like, but it's but it's the boost that you need. And so it's yeah, when somebody believes in you, how can you not believe in yourself? So tell us how to find this this Instagram page and, and you and what all the things you're doing. Well, the 48-Hour Film Project is 48hourfilm.com. And if you want mine particularly, it's slash Richmond, uh, richmondfilmnetwork.org. And on Instagram, it's Richmond Film Network. Cool. Thanks. I love all the ways that, that people have their unique ways of sharing their love with the world. And, and I appreciate hearing yours. Thanks for being here, Lisa. Thanks, sis. 
<laughs> and for all of you listening, if you like the podcast, please like and subscribe, and you'll get my free ebook. I'm Laura Giles, and I'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help the podcast thrive, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Laura Giles, you can follow her on all her socials at Laura Giles 804. See you next time.